sometimes we use Christian ease. You know what I mean when I say like Christian ease and and we use it and we talk about it and we say things like like the blood of Christ or or being born again or Jesus is the lamb of God. And we use these Christian phrases. And sometimes if we go down the street or we're talking to somebody on a bus, we really, really need to know what we're talking about. Because we can talk to somebody about Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away uh, the sins of the world. And they'll look at us and they'll go, what are you talking about? I have no idea. And being, you know, sometimes when people find out that you're a minister or you're a pastor, they want to tell you about their religious experience and their religious stuff. And, and I'll get talking to some people and they'll start talking about things. And I'll look at them and I'll say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've read the Bible many, many times. And you start talking about this stuff. And I'm going, I've never, I've read the Bible. I've never heard that. Could you explain it to me? And they just use these religious sounding phrases, but they don't know what they mean. And so today, last week, I said we were talking about the testimony of John the Baptist. And last week I gave an introduction into who John the Baptist was and him coming onto the scene and how John the Baptist, every time we see him in the book of John, I I put a little tombstone up there last week, remember? And it said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Because the, the message of John the Baptist's life was, Jesus is number one and I am number two. And he sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we tell people, like like if you are a visitor here to church, we give you a little packet. And in that packet, it has the Gospel of John and the Book of Romans that come with it. And if somebody gets to accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we say, you need to read the book of John. It's a great place to get started. And we were talking about how John, in our introduction to the word a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how the gospel of John is different than the other three synoptic gospels. There's a book I have on my shelf. It's called The Harmony of the Words and Works of Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, I'll pull it out and I'll show somebody. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so parallel to each other. And then John is written differently for a different purpose. And I talked a few weeks ago about how we, when we read the book of John, John assumes that you have some knowledge of other places in the Bible at some times. Or else the the things sound kind of strange. Like when John the Baptist walks up and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Imagine you take that Gospel of John and you hand it to someone. You say, I want you to read this. They get through the first chapter. They're like, I have no idea what it means. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so I'd like us as Christians to be able to explain to somebody what it means when we say that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Did you guys notice that on the announcements I had like this cute little picture of a lamb and the cross there? That's great. That's wonderful. But why? What's the purpose 
of the Lamb of God. So as, as we look at that, first of all, somebody said this morning, what's with, uh, it was Bob, he said it up here. What, what, what's the big deal about the blood? And why is, why is the blood so important? We read in the Word of God that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And there's big, big importance in the blood of Jesus Christ, our sacrificial lamb. And so I'd like to talk about that today. And so this morning we read Genesis chapter 22. And so I'd like us to hop back to Genesis, but not to 22. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. And we could, we could spend a whole lot more time than we're going to today. But I'd like to move quickly today because I have a certain number of things I'd like to cover. And I'd like to move through them pretty fast. But we get to Genesis chapter 15. And we have this blood covenant. It says in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your great reward. And so as we look at this passage of scripture and we read Genesis chapter 15, the first thing that I see that, that God is talking to Abraham, he says, Abraham, <coughs> Abram, he has, his name has not been changed to Abraham yet. He says, Abram, I am your shield. I am your reward. The thing that we should strive for in this life is that special relationship that God had with Abraham. Called the friend of God. Man, what, what an amazing thing. To put God first. To have him be the thing that you long for. I know so many of us, we talk about the most special relationship that God has given us is that with our spouse. And I am so thankful for the, that special relationship that we can have with our spouse. But if you want your relationship with your spouse to be right, your relationship with the Lord has to be right first. If that takes priority, then let the other things fall in place. Then Abraham in Genesis chapter Abram in Genesis chapter 15 starts having a conversation with God about how God had promised him that he would have these descendants. And Abram asked God a question. He says, He says, God, um, here I am, and if I were to die today, I have no descendant. You promised me that, but it's not coming. It's it's not here. Why? So if I were to die today, my inheritance would go to somebody who's not even my child. <coughs> well, God says to Abram in verse 4, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, this child in your house, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. 
And so we see there that God promises Abram a son. That's going to be very important today for our discussion. And as they're going, going on and having this conversation, and God tells Abram to look to the stars and, and to see if he, shall, if he could count them. So will your descendants that will be that will come after you. Then in verse 6, I, I believe a very, very, very important verse in our study of the scriptures. It says, Abraham or Abram believed God and he counted it for righteousness. He believed that God would send that son. He believed that God would change, change the world through him and his family and his descendants. That God would be his reward and they, they had that special relationship. And if we continue on in verses 7 and 8, God promised Abram that he would inherit the land. And then something very, very strange happens. Starting in verse 9, God sets up and he establishes this blood covenant with his friend, Abram. It says in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 9, it says, So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut, him, cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Then we get to verses 17 and 18. It says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the two pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river, river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And so as we look at that, we see this blood covenant that God made with Abram. And, and I don't know about you, but when I, when I read that passage of scripture, as a matter of fact, in verse 12, it says that horror fell on Abram. And as he's seeing this, he, I'm sure he would have been horrified. Because could you imagine cutting all those animals in, in two and having this trail of blood that goes down the middle? There's a picture that I put up there. And I didn't, I didn't really like the picture. But I wanted to kind of give us a visual of it. Um, it. I don't think it really conveys what I have in my mind. But I had a hard time finding what I had in my mind. But I liked, there were a couple of things I liked about it. First of all, you could see the animals that have been cut into in the trail of blood. And you can see the trail leading up and pointing towards, and in the star, you see the cross. Because the cross is what's really, really important. This is going to help us understand the whole concept of what's going on. And that night, in that blood covenant, the Spirit of God, this flaming torch. I believe the Shekinah glory, the smoking oven came down and it walked that blood trail. 
and God made a covenant with Abram. He said, Abram, I'm going to give you an offspring and I'm going to give you the land. I promise it. And that settled it. And that blood covenant that God made with Abraham, he said, what I have said, my word, will be so, so important. And then, as we look here in this passage of scripture, God said, I, I promise you that. And here's how you know that I promise that. And in verses, in verses 13 to 16, it says, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. And God used the story of the, as you look at that, you see the story of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, that they would be slaves there for 400 years. And then God with his mighty hand and outstretched arm would come and he would deliver them. And God says, Abram, you know, you know that my promises for you are certain. And when you see, when your family sees that I fulfill my word on this little thing, be certain that I will fulfill my word on the big things. And let's take a look in, in our Bibles. Let's turn over a couple pages to that passage of scripture that we read this morning, Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, the story we read this morning, I've said this many times, and it's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. It's called the Akedah. The word Akedah means the test. Because on this day in the passage of Scripture that we just read, God comes with a test for Abraham. A very unique test. You'll notice here I can finally stop saying Abram and can go to Abraham because in between verses chapter 15 and chapter 22, God has changed his name from Abram to Abraham. But in verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so in this passage of scripture, right as it begins, I said a few weeks ago, I, I talked about how Exodus chapters 33 and 34, Moses was a type of Christ as he saw the backside of God's glory. And as he came down off the mountain, he reflected God's glory. And the people saw him and they made him cover his face and we saw that God tabernacled with the people and he, he gave us the law and Christ fulfilled the law. But in this, this picture here, we have Isaac as another type of Christ. I'm going to have these as we go through the book of John, these type of Christ alerts from the Old Testament, where we just see the Old Testament shouting over and over and over again. Jesus, the son of God is coming to take away the sins of the world. 
And right here in these verses that I just read, verse 2, I see Jesus, or Isaac, as a type of Christ. In that, he was the only son. The only son of Abraham's that mattered. If we read in the Bible, we see that there are other sons that Abraham had. But he mattered. He was the only son of Abraham. It says there, take now your son, your only son, the only legitimate one with Sarah, your son who you loved, and your son, as we just saw, who I promised to you. So in those three ways, we see that Isaac was a lot like Christ. He was a type of Christ. He was the only son. He was the loved son. And he was the promised son. And I want you to take your, your son and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain, which I shall tell you. I, I find that very, very interesting. And I've said many times, look at Genesis chapter 22. Put yourself in Genesis chapter 22 in Abraham's shoes. And you can begin to understand how important the verse John 3.16 is. When God says, when Jesus Christ says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever loved him might have eternal life. John 3.16 means a lot when we take a look at and we compare it to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2. And then I find it interesting. We read that passage of scripture this morning. But did you notice in there that it was a three-day journey? You think that that might have been important as a foreshadowing of something that would happen on the cross? And then as we continue down this road in Genesis chapter 22, in what we read this morning, as they are heading up onto that mountain, Isaac says to dad, he says, um, Dad, look, here's the fire, here's the wood, but Dad, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? So he asked Dad, he said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says something. He says, my son, God will provide Himself a lamb. In our study of the book of John, I said we're going to talk about some picture words. And I encourage you, maybe you write down some notes. We wrote down the word incarnation. We talked about God made flesh. Today I'd like us to put down another picture word. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our God will provide. And here Abraham, he knows, he says, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. I think that as we read that passage of scripture, each and every single one of those words is very, very, very important for us to understand. We get over to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Let's turn there. Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have the hall of faith. 
all these people through through the Old Testament who were examples for us of how we ought to live a life of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we get a little bit better picture because God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives a little bit of a message for us to a little bit more of an understanding of what had happened all those years ago as Abraham takes his son up on the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, that word was akeda, the test, the test, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so that just, as we're reading, as we look at that passage of scripture, Abraham, Hebrews tells us, Abraham thought that if he did take the life of his son, that God would give him, raise his son back to life. And so, as we're talking about this, as we say, Isaac was a type of Christ. Of course he was. Because that's where we get the idea of the sacrifice of the son, the only son, the promised son. And the idea of Abraham thought that if if God did make him go through with it and take the life of his son, that God would bring that son back to life. So they go up on the mountain. And Isaac, and I've heard many, many people say this, Isaac is a strapping young man. And there had to be some submission for him to get up and to lay down himself as a sacrifice. I heard someone talking about Abraham just a little while ago, and they said, Abraham was as he was getting ready to have Isaac, was this feeble man who couldn't even walk from one end of the room to the other. I disagree with that statement because after Sarah dies, Abraham has another wife named Keturah, and they have a a number of children. And so obviously Abraham was not as old and feeble as we make him out to be. Uh, I'm sure there are many of you in this room that are not 100 years old, but you feel as if you are definitely well past the age where you would want to have another family. Um, I'm, I'm a lot younger than many of you, and I'm done having children. I don't know if I'd want to go through it again. So I don't, I don't think that Abraham, he would walk across this room when this happened. Don't, don't make him bent over. and You know, Kent showed us how he could touch his toes this morning. Abraham was doing a whole lot more than touching his toes at this time in his life. So, but Isaac is up there. And you got to read it in verse 10. Now, let's, let's start in verse 9. It says, Then they came to the place where God had told him, and Abraham built an altar and placed the wooden order, And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar of wood 
And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Wow. Like, I'm just talking about it. And every single time I talk about this, like, I just feel the tension as, as he raises his hand with the knife ready to kill his son. I can't put myself there. I, I, I can remember when my son was like 13 and I was talking about this at camp. I said, I, I said, oh, no way. That's my boy. But what did God say when he hung Jesus Christ on the cross? I love you, world. I love you. This is how much I love you. That I am willing to let my son die in your place. It's the Lamb of God to pay for your sins. Then in verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. And there caught in the thicket was a ram, a ram. And he takes his son Isaac off and he puts the ram in his place. And the ram is offered in the place of Isaac. And, and we learn this other word, this picture word, the word propitiation, a substitutionary, satisfactory sacrifice. The ram that would die in place of Isaac. That becomes so important when we get to 1 John chapter 4. Because in 1 John chapter 4, the, the, I often, people, I'll say, what's the love chapter in the Bible? And they'll say, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I say, yeah, that's a good place to learn about love. But look at 1 John chapter 4. And let's have the debate. Let's see which one's more important, love. And which one's got a lot more to say about love. Because we get to 1 John chapter 4. An amazing verse in the Bible. We get to 1 John chapter 4, and we read these words. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's one of those words that if I were to maybe even walk up to you today and I would say, hey, aren't you so glad that Jesus Christ is your propitiation? What are you talking about, Pastor Scott? I think it's one of those words that we need to know. That Jesus Christ is the Lamb that God provided to die in our place. And it's a picture that we could see. But as we look at it and we see Abraham with the knife stretched out ready to, to sacrifice Isaac. And God says, no, wait, stop. Here's something to put in his place. And over there caught in the thicket was the ram. Do you think it's interesting? I find it interesting anyways. In Genesis chapter 15. Abraham cut all those animals in half and they made this blood trail and God walked down the blood trail. There's, 
There's no lamb. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. What was caught in the thicket that day? A ram. That's why I think it's such a big deal when John the Baptist looks at Jesus Christ and he says, Behold the There it is. Been waiting thousands of years for that lamb. God provided. God provides a ram. One day, God would provide a lamb. And then as we look at that, I, I, oh boy, I've got four minutes and about 14 minutes worth of stuff. <laughs> Exodus chapter 11. Exodus 11. The Lamb of God. Because in Exodus chapter 11, we have the ten plagues. And in Exodus chapter 11, God promised Abraham, he said, he said, your children are going to be slaves for 400 years. And then with my mighty hand and outstretched arms, they are going to leave and they're going to leave with the wealth of their captors. And they will be the whole world will know that I stepped in and I did something. And in Exodus chapter 11, all of a sudden the 10th plague comes. And in Exodus chapter 11 and verse 4, it says that God's, then Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight I will go into Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout the land, such as was not, in it, nor shall be like it again. And in first and in Exodus chapter eleven and verse four, Moses said, "God is saying, the death angel is coming, and he's coming at midnight, and I'm going to go through the land, and there's going to be a great cry throughout the land, like has never been heard before." And as we read through this passage of scripture. In Exodus chapter 11 and verse 10, it says, So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go throughout the land. And we see here this, this Pharaoh whose heart has just been hardened and hardened and hardened. We had a vacation Bible school this summer, and we talked to the kids, and we talked about how how Pharaoh's heart, through all the stuff that God did, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And his heart became harder and harder and harder. But the people had a responsibility that night. They had to make sure that their hearts were prepared. And that their hearts were different than Pharaoh's. And that instead of having a hard heart, they would have a submissive heart. And you want to know how we know that they had a submissive heart? Is because they how they responded to God's perfect sacrifice. We turn over to, to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5. And in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, Your lamb that you have for a sacrifice shall be without blemish, 
a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So we see here that God demanded that the sacrifice be perfect. And then in verse 6, he says, the death angel is coming at midnight. But in verse 6, he says, you're going to take that lamb. And it says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the holy assembly of the congregation shall kill it at twilight. And in verse 7, it says, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And he said, you're supposed to take it and you are supposed to sacrifice that perfect spotless lamb at twilight. Because you got to be ready for midnight because midnight's coming whether you like it or not. And he said, there's going to be salvation by the blood. If you take that lamb, you take it to the doorway and you slit its throat. You take that blood and you put that blood over the doorpost. And your house will be saved because it's covered by the blood that died in your place. The perfect spotless blood. And then got one of those other picture words. Like I've got a lot of picture words that I'm going to talk about. And that word is atonement. The wrath of God satisfied by a perfect, spotless sacrifice. Those children of Israel were covered by the blood. They had their houses covered and the the, the wrath of God was satisfied. In verse 11, God told the children of Israel, when you eat this Passover sacrifice, the lamb that was slain in your place, the blood that was painted on the door, you need to make sure that you're ready to, to leave. He says in there, you've got to make sure that you have your robe on, your sandals on your feet, your belt tied, and your staff in your hand. You've got to be ready to go because midnight is coming and you're going to get out of here and on your way to the promised land. This is another one of those types of Christ, and I absolutely love it. In verse 13, it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let me tell you something. The world is no different back then than it was when Jesus Christ came than it is today. We got a God who doesn't let sin off the hook. People have to pay for their sins. And God demands that there be a price that is made. And atonement, that word up there, means that God has his wrath. Midnight is coming. And the only thing is that you notice that at twilight, in his perfect time, God sent his son, the son of God, the only son, the promised son, and the loved son. And he sacrificed him when he died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine.
so that when midnight comes, if our hearts are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who died to save us from our sins, you'll pass over us. And we need to be ready to leave at a moment's notice, because who knows, the trump could sound right now and God could say, we're going home. Oh, man. Because God, with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, has the power to save. You washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you, like John the Baptist, get excited when you see Jesus coming and you say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you have a better understanding this morning about what was important about the, the Lamb, the blood? And how all through the scriptures, we're looking for the Lamb. And today, hopefully, we saw the Lamb. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you and I praise you for today. I thank you for this message and for what it can mean to us. And I pray, Lord, that you might help us to be ready to be prepared. If someone were to ask us, why do we call Jesus the Lamb of God? That we would be able to share the importance of Jesus Christ and his message of salvation. And Lord, I, I pray that today, if there's someone who does not know the Lamb of God, that today might they might understand the salvation. And Lord, I pray that you might touch their heart, convict them right now where they sit. And Lord, I pray that they might have a heart that is ready to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.